Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get uh, your Bibles out and turn them to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. I told Zach earlier, and, and I, I'll tell you, some preachers, when they get their church services prepared, the preachers actually lay the music down, and they try to coordinate the music with whatever sermon that they're trying to preach. I don't do that. Never have, never will. Um, I think that there's a certain amount of spirit-led, um, spirit-led, worship per se to letting the music ministers actually decide what the worship music music should be Uh, and and occasionally you'll find these circumstances where a song that they're going to sing in the morning will just i mean lock with the message and this is one of those weeks galatians chapter six we're going to find um the Apostle Paul is actually writing this letter to the, to the people of Galatia because they're being bombarded by people who are teaching them foreign doctrine, or I should say inaccurate doc- doctrine. The Jews are trying to strip away what grace and mercy uh, really is, and the Jews who lived under the law, most of what motivated them was the way that it actually made them look. So uh, if you meet people on the street, for instance, and these individuals you come across, and if you ask them if they're going to go to heaven, they'll say, well, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. Well, why? Because I'm not that bad of a person. I'm good. The question really is, why are we good? If we're good, why are we good? And there is a difference between what we see in the world as good and what the biblical definition of good is. And the biblical definition of good is pure it's righteous it's right it's doing right in the eyes of god towards people we know that jesus was called good at one point and his response to the person that called him good was what do you call me good for you know that none are good but god so the truth is we are incapable of being the embodiment of good but we have been commanded throughout scripture to be people who do good In other words, if God is the only one that's good, and we hear this all the time, right? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And God's the only one that can be good. And and I want us, as we look through this, to be able to understand that when the Scripture actually talks about us doing good to other people, it's not saying that we are God. But it's saying, just like it does in every other aspect of life, that we're supposed to be individuals who mimic God. And it can be hard. It can be difficult to do good to people. Because again, we're not allowed to use the world's definition of good. In other words, if you take somebody a sandwich and just feed them, is that necessarily the biblical definition of good? No, it's not. It's good in the world's eyes because you're providing somebody with a meal, right? 
Well, what happens to that person if they choked to death on that peanut butter jelly sandwich you gave them? The good just went away, didn't it? So the pure and the righteous, it's the why we do what we do. It's the purpose behind the being genuinely good to people. And there are individuals who have I've, I've worked at this place for a couple of months now, and I've had people who come up to me and they say, well, these kids seem to respect you a lot. And I'm, I, don't, I don't know if it's respect or not. Well, what do you attribute that to? Well, I'm good to them. If they need something, I don't tell them, wait, I'll do it when I got time and do it two hours later. If they ask me a question, I don't criticize them for the question that they asked or treat them like they're dumb because they asked it. If they need somebody to talk to, I'll pull up a chair and talk to them. It's not that hard to really be good to people. In other words, to be the reflection of Christ to the individuals that are around us. The church, and I'm throwing the whole church under the bus, I realize that not every person is, is, uh, is bad, not every person, uh, not every church is bad, not every denomination is bad. I'm not throwing really everybody under the bus. But how many things do we say that we do that are good that really have no purpose outside of building pride. It's hard to know someone's intentions and motivations. But I know that it's human nature for us to be individuals who want to look good to people when that's not at all what we're supposed to be after. As a matter of fact, was Paul good to people? He was. And he mentions in here that he actually bears the marks of, of persecution. Being good to people doesn't always mean that they're going to appreciate it. It doesn't always mean that they're going to like it. Because, again, it's not being good to people by the world's definition. It's being good to people from Christ's perspective. So if you know that individuals are separated from Christ and you approach them and you talk to them about their sin... Is that good? It's the biblical definition of good. Are they going to immediately tell you how much they appreciate you approaching them with the things that they do in life that are wrong? Now, it's easy for us to, 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 to understand the separation because one of the biggest things that I hear about people, there's so many things in the world that are bad, so much sickness, so much evil, murder. There is so much going on in this world that is bad. How can you say that God is good? God is not responsible for every individual's choices. Do you hear me? God is not responsible for every individual's choices. Now, in my own life, <clears throat> I look at everything else around me, and I see how the pain has been inflicted upon people, and it's been inflicted upon me too. But I also look at what the effect on me was. It wasn't, it wasn't all fun. Very little of it was fun. But when I look at the big picture, has God been good to me? in every case has he shown me mercy still here has he been faithful 
And he's asking for this relationship that he's called us into to transform us into the person that God is that we may be capable of genuinely doing good to people. We have such a judgmental foundation in the church today. We determine whether people are unworthy. We determine whether people are worthy of our forgiveness or not. We determine whether they're worthy of God's forgiveness or not. I've asked this question before. I'm going to ask it again real quick, though. Is a pedophile worthy of God's forgiveness? It's a tough one, though, ain't it? It's a tough one. The truth is he's no more worthy, no more unworthy than we are for the sin that separated us from him. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, is what was shown towards each and every one of us that we may even be capable of finding forgiveness for the sin that separated us from him. And we've really been asked to do nothing more than to be to other people what Christ has been to us. This first example in this passage of scripture, Galatians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Listen, if your relationship with God isn't right, don't go holding people accountable for their sin. And there are a couple of reasons for that. You can go too far one way or too far the other. God never, ever, ever calls for a human being to cause another human being's destruction. That is never his purpose for any of us as individuals. He calls us to be people of restoration, to restore. And you say, well, some people don't seem to walk around and flaunt their, their sins and have all these problems with their sins, but it's still about restoration. God ultimately wants people restored in their relationship to him. Whether that means that that person doesn't have a relationship with him at all, or it's someone who is caught in a sin that needs to be restored in that relationship as well. We are not in the business of destroying. We are supposed to be in the business of healing. And if we're not people who check our hearts on a regular basis, then our intentions and motivations from the get-go are off. When I was in school, every report card that was sent home had a note from the teacher that said, seems happy just to get by. And boy, did they have me pegged. That's who I was. I, I, I was good at finding the line and standing as close to it as I could possibly stand to it. Since I've grown a little older, my OCD has taken over. And if I do something at home, like, say, build a bedroom, I don't walk away from the bedroom going, that ought to get by. I want to be able to walk away from that bedroom saying I did the absolute best that I could possibly do. But we have been tasked, and we don't think about this, folks. 
We have been tasked with building individuals' lives around the foundation that is Christ. And when we walk into the world and we walk into circumstances where individuals are genuinely hurting and individuals are dealing with their struggles and their pains and their difficulties, should we be walking away saying, I did all right, and that's good enough? Or if we're aware of what it is that God's called us into. And folks, this isn't just preachers. It's not just deacons and it's not just teachers. He's called every one of us to this sanctifying life. This life where we've been set apart to represent Christ in the world that is lost and dying. And when you walk through that world, can you honestly walk through a day and say, I did the absolute best that I could to be good to people? Jesus good to people. Not the world's definition of good, but that I do the absolute best I could to be Jesus good to people. Because did you know that when you walk through life, you leave a mark? The question isn't whether you leave a mark or not. The question is what kind of a mark do you leave? Do you leave a mark that does show forth the goodness of God? that lets people know what mercy looks like, that lets people know what restoration looks like, to let people know that regardless of what they've done, that there is nothing they can do that can separate them from the love of Christ? Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This is, this is pretty big. I don't know how many times in my life I've heard other people say, well, the decisions they made put them there. Is it true? It is true. So does that mean we just leave them to drown? They're suffering the consequences of their actions. Does it mean we leave them tied to the train tracks? Bear one another's burdens literally means to take the load upon yourself. That means swallow our pride, get off of our high horse about thinking that we're more than we really are, humble ourselves to the dirt of the ground that we know we are, and put ourselves in other people's shoes. preached a funeral here a while back and it was a man who passed away he drowned when he drove his car off in a creek in DeSoto and I think I shocked some people because the two hours before the sermon started individuals coming up to me and I'd met his daughters and I'd met his wife and the people coming up to me saying things to me I was shocked and here's how I started that sermon off you know what the difference is between me and that guy he got caught. Because if I was being honest, and I think there's some people in here who could attest to this, aren't you glad that we didn't have video cameras on our phones when we were growing up? Because you know that if the technology existed back then that existed today, a lot of us would be in a lot more hot water than we, than we experienced in our lifetime. 
yeah, hold my beer and watch this. It was always my favorite thing to, to look after I had quit drinking. Somebody say, hold my beer and watch this. And I just sit back and I wish that I had cameras back then, but they didn't have them. The truth is most of the people who are getting in trouble for things today, I was guilty of as bad, if not in some cases worse than the things that they did. I mean, I'd have been as bad as some, but how bad do you have to be before you're bad? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can I call myself good? Well, no, there are none good, but God. So is it possible for me to look at another individual and rather than me think that I'm higher and mightier than they are because of the holiness of thou, that I get to not pay attention to what they're dealing with in their life? He didn't call us to be righteous for our own benefit. He didn't call us to be good for our own benefit. He called us to be righteous and good for the benefit of the lost, of the hurting, of those individuals who need to see God in whatever circumstance or instant that they're in in their life. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. In light of all that Christ has done for me, what do I have to boast about? I am rotten. I am dirty. I am a filthy sinner. And anything that is good has been given to me from God. The ability to preach, the ability to discern his scripture, theology, how that scripture or that theology fits in real life when it's applied to the lives that we live and we walk every day, the ability to be good to those who Keith may think are not worthy of it. Those things are not characteristics of us. Those are characteristics that only Christ has the capability of giving us. And folks, this is a huge thing that really confuses the non-believer. They cannot figure out, they've gone so far as to say that there's something wrong with our DNA. When they see someone who's a Christian who, who goes contrary to the fallen nature, when they come across a person who genuinely doesn't seem to be in it for themselves, but are in it for others, it confuses them because they see it being contrary to human nature. Only Christians are capable of being good to people who hurt them in return. Does that sound familiar? Only Jesus is capable of being good to those who hurt him in return. It was by his stripes that we were he healed. 
and it wasn't just on Calvary. If you've been a believer for any length of time at all, then God has shown himself faithful in many, many cases in our lives. He has absolutely been merciful. He doesn't fail us. In the darkness, we do hear his voice if we're people who are Christians. And oh my goodness, the number of times that I've found myself in darkness in my lifetime. And it was always his still small voice that called me out of the cave. It was always his mercy. The number of times I've even failed him as a Christian. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve him to lift a finger for me under no circumstance. To be honest, I don't even think that I deserve him loving me the way he does. It's a really confusing relationship. But not one time in my life have I felt like he's given up on me. Not one time in my life have, have I felt like I have, I have committed something that made him turn his back on me and walk away from me. So this passage, be honest. Don't say it out loud because I could care less. Don't take that wrong. What I mean by that is between you and God. I mean, really, without him, just how good are you? Verse 5 says, for each one shall bear his own load. It's like, wait a minute, that seems like a direct contradiction. He just said that we're supposed to bear the load of others, and now he says each person must bear their own load. It's not a contradiction. He's saying we're supposed to care about other people while at the same time fulfilling our responsibility to him. Whatever your calling is, you have to bear that load. Nobody can bear that load for you. But we can bear the burdens and the load of other individuals when it comes to their difficulties and their struggles and their challenges. It can put us in a spot of compassion, which gives us a desire to help lift people out of those circumstances instead of just letting people flail in them. If Christ is capable of being good to me with all of the offenses that I've committed towards him, then I should be someone who takes seriously the calling that he's placed on my life to show that same goodness that is his to others. Verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. You say, well, wait a minute. That almost sounds like we need to encourage the individuals who teach us. I got a question for you. How many of you, how many of you in here have learned lessons in life? How many of those lessons were easy lessons? 
you know, I've joked about this, and, and on a certain level, I mean, I, I, I give it with a joking spirit, but I want you to know that there's an awful lot of seriousness in this as well. To deliver one sermon effectively, it's six to eight hours of preparation time. And I have people sometimes, you let us out 10 minutes late today, preacher. Well, okay, you got what you got for 50 minutes. I got it for six to eight hours. Because if you think that we are capable of just sitting down with the Bible and studying for a sermon and it not touching the deepest, darkest parts of your soul, you've got another thing coming. And it's not like God says, hey, I know you haven't dealt with this, but it's okay to be hypocritical. You go ahead and stand up there and preach on that without dealing with it in your own life. If anyone is capable of teaching you the things of God, they did not come by that easily. By no means did they come by that easily. Because either they learned it through the Holy Spirit, through the open book of his word, or they learned it through the very hard, real circumstances of their life. And it makes it difficult when I, as a preacher, see individuals take the word of God and just easily disregard it. So an individual teaches you something, that person had to learn something before they could teach it. And it cost them. Recognizing what other individuals around us sacrifice so that we may have something better is what that's about. Did ever have anybody go out of their way for you? Appreciate it. Why? Because hopefully that person wasn't doing it just to be showy, but hopefully that person was doing it because they genuinely wanted to accomplish good in your circumstance. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. Every day we get out of bed, everything that we do is hoeing rows and planting seeds. And either we're planting seeds for the things that are best for us or we're planting seeds for the things that are best for others. And the way that it's supposed to work, God has already been good to you. Therefore, be good to others. It shouldn't be, I'm going to go be good to others so that God will be good to me because that actually forgets every good thing that God has already done for us. Let me ask you something. What God's already done for you, can you ever repay it? No matter how much you do, no matter how much you invest, can you ever pay God back for the things that he's done for you? So why do we approach life as if it's one of these, I'm going to do what I'm going to do so that I may benefit from it?
even selfishness in prayer. People pray all the time, God, if you do this, I'll make a deal with you. I mean, listen to honestly how much of a slap in the face that that is. I can honestly see God going up there, you mean, you want more? I've given you everything that you need for eternal life. I've given you everything that you need for life eternal. I've given you everything that you need for maintenance of life. And because you don't have what you want, you're willing to walk out into the world and corrupt everything that I've done. Does God know your heart? If he wants you to have it, will he give it to you? If you don't get it, guess what? He don't want you to have it. And if that causes you to throw your body in the floor, pound your fists on the ground, and kick your feet, then what does that say? Do you really want what God wants? Or are you really chasing what you want? Most people go to church because of the benefit that they receive, not the benefit they have already received. But they come that God, they come that God may excite them for their week. They come that they could get their batteries recharged. It's not what church is for. Church is to worship and glorify God with a grateful heart for what it is that he has already done. And when people sing songs during the, the worship service, do they sing the songs like they're singing to a God who has been as good to them as in reality he has been? In other words, folks, when we sing, do we sing with our mouths? Or do we sing from the fullness of our hearts knowing what it is that God's done for us? This world's going to continue to be harmful to people. It's going to continue to kick people down, and it's going to continue to kick them while they're down. <coughs> and if you want to talk sometime about why God allowed that, we can talk about that sometime. The truth is, God's not going to be a God who's going to force people to do anything. And I put it to people this way. Do you want your kids to love you because they want to or because they have to? If we love him because we have to, is that a relationship? It's only a relationship as he has already shows that he loves us because he wanted to. Do we love him because we want to? Not because we have to. And the love that we say we love him with, if you think it's just going to church... You've missed the point. If you love him, you love him with every word that you say, you love him with every thought that you think, and you love him with everything that you do. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's literally the way it says it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, us keeping his commandments 
is the result of the love that he first showed us that we reciprocate through the gift that he gave us. So do you love him with the things that you say? Do you love him with the things that you do? Because this world has given us a twisted definition of what love is. Agape love? Unconditional. That's the love with which he called us to love others with. Because that's the love with which he loved us. Because you know what we're capable of. We will craft requirements for individuals who are worthy of our love. I have couples come to me all the time. I don't love them anymore. Well, that's obvious. I mean, you've come for counseling. No, I mean, I emotionally don't. Okay, first of all, emotion, so deceiving. The human heart, absolutely wicked. The emotional attachment comes only after the faithful act of love. Love is not an emotion. It is a verb. It's not something we feel. It's something we do. For God so loved the world, the Father, that he gave his only begotten Son. It was an act. And Jesus loved you and me so much that he gave his own life. Love's not an emotion. Love is, is an action. It's a verb. You know, I have a couple of pastor friends. I don't know whether they followed through with this or not. I haven't seen them in quite some time, but I'm kind of curious. One of these days I'm going to contact them just to find out. They said that they were going to go back to the old biblical ideal of, of uh, betrothing. Here's the way it worked back in the day when Jesus was little. A mom and a dad sat down after their two children were born. They were typically very young, sometimes even newborns. And they would sit across the table from each other while they shared a meal, and they would say, hey, how about your son and my daughter get married? And if they agreed, that was what happened. There was no courting process, not one. It wasn't, hey, let's date a few times and see how this turns out. That's not how it was. These two individuals didn't have a choice in the matter. Yet divorce was very rare. Those marriages many times succeeded. And some people say, well, that's because we're forced. No, it wasn't. It was because you can put two individuals together. And if they commit to love one another, the verb... there's no chance of that relationship failing. It's when individuals look at love as an emotion and they lose the emotion in a particular circumstance. It's because one or the other or both stopped loving each other. They stopped performing the act of love towards one another. 
out of all of the people that I've counseled, guess how many of them that was the case? Every single one. Every single one. You see, people in relationships, they either choose to love or they choose not to love. And if one person out of a two-person relationship decides not to love, it destroys the whole relationship. But you show me two people who are committed to loving one another. And I can guarantee you that that's a relationship that will not only last, but will flourish. The relationships you have today, folks, the relationships that you have today, if there's trouble in those relationships, somebody stopped loving. Somebody stopped loving. I will give you a 100% guarantee that if there is a relationship that you're in today, somebody stopped loving. Verse 9 says, And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Have you ever done good for people and they just turn around and blow it? I can tell you as a pastor that I've done good to people who have blown it like 12 or 15 times in a row. And I'm here to tell you, you can get weary. Doing good can grow weary. You can grow weary doing good. You can get to the point where eventually it's like, really, God, do I have to? I mean, how many times are we going to do this? You know that whole cut in the string thing, God? That thing that I know that the scripture talks about where you basically just stop? I mean, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just get that they're never going to get it? it? Took me a long time for me to learn that it may not have been that he was trying to get them to get it. It may have been that he was trying to get me to get it. Do not grow weary doing good. Because here's the deal. He says in the last part of that, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. If we stop doing good because we are frustrated at doing good, what are the chances that what we don't do are going to actually provoke good in the end? It's not going to happen. There's a 100% chance that nothing good is going to come out of that. If we allow ourselves to get frustrated at doing good, if we allow ourselves to get frustrated because other people are taking us for granted and that causes us to stop doing good to people I can guarantee you that no good to people brings about no good for those people but if we don't grow weary especially in the hardest most difficult circumstances We're going to see some good come out of it. God's good. 
We may not always know what that's going to look like. And in some cases, you may never know what that good is. But it always goes back to the question, do you trust God? Is life about things turning out the way that we want them to turn out? Or should it be more about things turning out the way that God wants them to turn out? My dad died of cancer. Did he have the power to save him? He did. But he, did, he didn't save him. He saved him eternally. And he took him home, home where he was supposed to be. That was, that was the voice of mercy. That was the, that was the faithfulness in which he presented to me in that circumstance. But there are a lot of people who lose loved ones and they get frustrated and angry over losing a loved one. But what if God was accomplishing his purpose and his plan through the loss of your loved one? The, the pain and suffering that individuals go through in life, does God have the power to heal it? And if they're not healed then God is accomplishing something in it. Do you want what you want? Or do you want what he wants? Because he could be teaching something to people, even us, who were involved in the midst of that situation. But he is showing his faithfulness. And he continues to show his mercy. Verse 10, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Let us do good to all men. That's everybody. And then he throws in there, but especially those who are of the household of the faith. Be good to everybody, but it's extremely important that you be good to the people who share the same faith that you do. Here's the deal, folks. And I've had people who ask me this all the time. They, honestly, people think that when they come to know Jesus Christ, because some people tell them, hey, you know what, come to know Jesus and everything's going to be fine. How many of you that are in here, was that your experience? Give your life to Jesus and it gets even more turned on its head than it was before you gave your life to Jesus. It becomes much more difficult. It becomes much more complicated. And the difficulties and the complications are because now you can't just live freely moment to moment doing what you want to, but you actually have to suppress what you want in order to bring about what God wants. So the conflict inside an individual multiplies many, many times over when they become a Christian. The stresses and the pressures multiply because not only do you have to deal with your own fallen nature, but now you've got a bullseye on your back for Lucifer and all of his demons. people fail they make mistakes there are circumstances in life where they hurt and we're supposed to be individuals who help pick them up and dust them off not put them out of their misery 
Verse 11 says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. the world has been crucified to us and if we have been crucified to the world that means that we are dead to one another the world should have no part to play in the lives that we live and it's not that it should be a lack of a desire because what did the crucifixion entail was an agonizing death right and it was a death nonetheless right and if the world is dead to us what impact does it have on us and if we are dead to the world but alive in Christ as Paul also says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 then what impact do we have on the world? A Christ-like impact. In other words, we're no longer contributing to the fallen things that are out there. And we are no longer allowing the fallen things out there to contribute to who we are. We have been set apart by Christ and set apart for a purpose. We have been given a gift something that helps us to push forward what God's trying to accomplish in the world that we live in. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. How many of you grew up with parents that were pretty strict? I mean, I was one of those. I was taken to church for the first time when I was seven. Generation X churchgoer. One of those who, you wait till you get home there was always a beating that followed that statement. And I mean, you couldn't lay down a pew. You laid down a pew, you were getting whiffed when you went home. You crawled under the pews. Whew. You ran in church. Oh my goodness, what sacrilege. How many times, and you only know the things that you've done in your life, How many things have you done in your life where if God would have just taken you out, he would have been justified in doing so? Based on his standard. Because mercy, 
I've utilized more than most. In everything that I remember in my life that I faced as difficulties, I can tell you at least one and in some cases several positives that came out of those negatives. God can make all things of the good to those who know him are called according to his purpose. Amen. Even your mistakes. Even your broken heart. Even the things that required you to walk through darkness for a time. I want you to think about it. Was there ever, looking back, really a time that you can say God wasn't there? He still let people be people. He still let people make their own choices. And their choices, they certainly impacted you. And in most cases, probably to the negative. But making it clear, that was not him. He was the one that was in the background providing to you what it was you needed to survive. He's the one that showed you the silver lining on the dark cloud. He was the one that showed you the good in the midst of the bad. He was the one that encouraged you either through people, through prayer, through a circumstance. He was the one who encouraged you. When, in any instance in your life, can you honestly say that he wasn't there? I will never leave you or forsake you. It's not just cliche. It was a promise. And if you really look back in every one of those instances, even though in many cases we forgot that, and in many cases we weren't looking in the corner, in many cases we weren't looking, looking back, we know that he was there. That it wasn't just cliche, but that it was a promise. And he kept it. So when you worship God, do you really worship him? Are you here today to punch the time clock? To leave? Just feeling like that you did the due diligence? That you accomplished what you needed to by going to church for the week? Or do you truly sing a song with your heart full knowing what God has done, the ways that he's shown himself to you. And do you appreciate it so much that when you leave church, you desire to do it out there? That goodness that was all shown to you, that mercy that has been multiplied many times to us, that favor, that compassion, that love, does it make you desire to want to do it out there? 
because that's what worship is. Worship is acknowledging God for who He is. Worship is gratitude for what He's done. Understanding everything in our life that has its fingerprints on it. And what He's called us to be as individuals in a fallen world as a result. never come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you desire to, I am here. You can come to me after service, during the invitation. I'll spend whatever time that I can to show you the one that can save you. But if you're here today and you're a believer, God is good. All the time. God is good. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sends His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, he came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.